0: We return to bringing light into darkness at the premier community radio station of the nation, 91.7 KOOP, and our discussion of human shields in Ukraine and festungs. These festong strongholds are just a means for Ukraine to completely exhaust Russia by using these human shields. Another analyst goes on and says, peace talks were progressing in the march period of time and but the u.s led west didn't want peace especially since they didn't have any soldiers in the hunt Till the united states led a sabotage effort of the peace talks once the negotiations in istanbul gained traction the eu leaders were immediately called together by biden but they did not discuss peaceful solutions according to the analyst what did they discuss They talked about ways to send more weapons to Ukraine. They tried to disrupt the negotiations and began talking about sending more tanks and planes. Unfortunately, this shows the direction this warfare is heading. However, what is clear to the analysts is that Ukraine is of no importance to the West.
1: Despite hostilities in the first days of the special operation, Moscow came to the negotiating table immediately. The first rounds of talks were held in person in Belarus. Then the side switched to discussions via video, albeit to no avail. At the end of March, a month after the special operation started, Russian and Ukrainian delegations resumed face-to-face talks in Istanbul. Turkish President Erdogan mediated the negotiations. Negotiations stalled, Ukraine submitted its peace treaty proposal, Moscow withdrew its forces from the Kyiv, Chernigov and Sumy regions to de-escalate the conflict, in reality its troops were regrouping, the Russian army's disengaged units transferred to Kharkov region and Donbas. The special military operations second stage began.
0: The Russian military expert Yuri Konotov said initially classical tactics were used. Massive use of armored vehicles, head-on infantry attacks. All of this resulted in heavy losses to their Ukrainian opposition forces. Now we have switched to small cauldron attacks and tactics where the Russians' task is to bite off enemy groups and eliminate them, thus gnawing through these layers of defense that the Ukrainians had. The goal of Russia's military action is also political, to force the enemy to surrender and stop resisting, But there's also a big emphasis on saving civilian lives by the Russians and saving the lives of enemy troops. So creating these small cauldrons actually set the stage for them to surrender in mass and these tactics have proven effective. Notice how this is completely contrary to the mainstream narrative in which Russia is portrayed as having no concern for civilian lives. And on past shows with Scott Ritter, we've detailed how, in fact, you can show, and we have shown, how civilian lives have been profoundly protected in these Russian offenses, which is proven by the sheer numbers of deaths to civilians relative to Ukrainian soldiers. We return to the narrator.
1: The first stage is main goal to eliminate military infrastructure. Now Russia must secure full control over Donbass and southeastern Ukraine in order to safeguard Crimea and provide a land corridor to the peninsula. I think that
2: Russia is proceeding in a very deliberate and even mature way. I think some statements have come out from some Russian leaders that they are not a prisoner to any timeline. So there's no artificial need to win by June, win by July, win by August. It comes down to a question of, can Russia achieve its strategic military objectives with the forces that it has currently assembled? Some people believe that that's not possible. But the only vote that counts is that of the Russian military and the Russian government they believe it's possible and the Russian military continues to perform the way it is, then this war will probably drag on through the summer and end with some sort of
1: you know, strategic Russian victory. Russia has designated the conflict as a special military operation, meaning that fighting is conducted with significant restrictions.
0: This is the voice of John Kuyako, He's an American writer, journalist, and a former intelligence officer.
2: Where, here in the United States, they say, oh, the Russians are bogged down. The Russians are going more slowly than anybody anticipated. It's because the Ukrainians are fighting so hard. No, not at all. The reason is that the strategy is different. The Russians said from the very beginning that they wanted to avoid civilian casualties. Their goal, their policy, was not to destroy the infrastructure of Ukraine. Their goal was not to attack civilian
0: targets. Returning to one of the Russian analysts, quote, we do not consider Ukraine to be a quasi-enemy, and we do not consider its citizens hostile. This is why we've mostly limited the scope of our use of weapons, especially the heavy ones. Uh, We have not employed the tactics the US employed in Iraq. I think he's referring to like Fallujah. Check that out. We completely leveled Fallujah, killed some 600 to 800 civilians alone. I mean, just look at how many civilians we killed in Iraq in the hundreds of thousands, and look at what's going on in the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and then consider the complete absence of concern for Iraqi civilians in the mainstream press during our presence there, compared to the coverage in the Ukraine. The Americans made 4,000 flights, he says, almost wiping Iraq off the face of the earth and turning it into a moodscape. This was all before the land forces even attacked. This is a marked difference from the Russian approach. We don't do that, he said. Yes, we could use Tu-22s and Tu-95s, talking about the Air Force, to wipe big cities like Kiev and Kharkov, off the face of the earth. We have enough bombs and planes to do that, but what we are doing is not against the civilian population. We try to preserve civilian infrastructure and the lives of the civilians who've been forced to live under the neo-Nazi Kiev regime since 2014. We return to the narrator.
1: Meanwhile, the weapons that are continuously being supplied to Ukraine cannot fundamentally alter the course of military action reality all it does is prolong the conflict and increase casualties among civilians and armed forces on both sides and everyone in kiev moscow and washington clearly understands this the ukraine war is a proxy war this is a war
2: between russia and the united states and again it's one of those situations where the u.s. can fight a war and not lose any of its own people also after 9-11 The U.S. transitioned into what really is a full-time war-like economy where we almost always have to be at war or our economy will fall into recession. And so when we see these enormous amounts of money going to Ukraine, $40 billion, $13 billion, it's not that we're just writing the check and giving Ukraine free money. Almost none of that money as cash goes to Ukraine. Where it goes is to U.S. defense contractors.
0: We return to the analysis of one of the Russian analysts, who says World War I, World War II, the Korean War and the Vietnam Wars, the Persian Gulf, Afghanistan, Iraq, and now Ukraine. He doesn't even mention Libya and Syria. But anyhow, he continues, the U.S. military industrial complex has made huge profits off these conflicts and still does. This is the foundation of the American economy. They sell billions of dollars of weapons to Taiwan to counter China. They sell billions of dollars worth of weapons to Saudi Arabia and Gulf countries to counter Iran. This is the main cause of war. Until the US military industrial complex is fully confronted, this won't end. In fact, according to the global military spending website, in 2021, the world spent some $2.1 trillion on military spending. The United States military spending accounted for more than 38% of world spending. The next closest was actually China at 13.95%. Meanwhile, in 2021, Russia spent $66 million military spending, which was three One four percent of world spending, one twelfth of what the U.S. spent. The U.S. actually spent eight hundred and one billion dollars in 2021, which is more than the next nine countries combined. And look at who they sell to Saudi Arabia and these Gulf monarch nations. They don't even have constitutions, yet, we give Saudi Arabia billions and billions and billions of dollars to obliterate Yemen, along with U.S. guidance now. Close to a million Yemenis have died since 2015, when President Obama initiated supportive military relationship with Saudi Arabia relative to Yemen. No media coverage. No U.S. media concern. Nothing comparable to the concern expressed rightfully for Ukrainians. Yet, a million Yemeni civilians are dead. Some 15,000 Ukrainian civilians are dead. We return to the American University Professor Kuznick's words. He says, So We have to remember
2: that after 1990, the United States
0: was hegemonic, was the sole superpower. But Then the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan were going so badly, Russia had a resurgence, and China emerged on the world scene, the world scene militarily and economically, and so it was a multipolar world again. The United States is trying to use this situation now to reassert American unipolarity. With respect to the execution of the war, one of the analysts indicates that the Russian army completely resolved the demilitarization issue within a hundred days. Ukraine is now fighting solely with NATO weapons, since all of their own have presumably been destroyed. The Americans and the UK are trying to create a new army which is currently being formed in Germany, the United States, Poland, and directly in the UK. Meanwhile, Ukraine is doing everything to sacrifice colossal human resources in Donbas. They are ready to let thousands of their own soldiers perish for one goal, so that while they are slowing the Russian army, a new line of defense, a new eastern wall can be built through Kharkov, Poltava. Zaporizhzhia, Dneprotravosk, Nikolaev, and Odessa, four have already been built around Dnepropetrovsk. two from concrete, he says. The video then turns its interest towards the Finnish and Swedish Armed Forces involvement. <laughs>
1: by Washington, invisible yet discernible lines of defense manifested on Russia's borders with its two northern neighbors, Finland and Sweden. These nations opted to join NATO, citing Moscow's alleged aggressive intentions.
0: The analysts have this to say about the Finnish and Swedish situation. The first one indicates the Finnish and Swedish armed forces have taken part in all of the NATO's European exercises. They've purchased American and NATO weaponry and synchronized military planning with them. Their officers have studied at the military academies of NATO's major powers. What is happening now is just the formalization of long-established contacts. We must express regret that the Swedish and Finnish governments couldn't find the strength to resist this completely emotional impulse and have abandoned the neutrality, which was the basis and guarantee of our close, friendly relationships of the past. Barris Adiba, the Turkish professor, goes on to say, Americans want Sweden and Finland and NATO in order to cut off Russia's access to the Baltic Sea, and by inhibiting Russia's access to warm seas, they are attempting to cut China off from the crossroads that is Russia. This extends beyond the Baltic region. There were also plans to cut off Russia from the Black Sea via Ukraine. In other words, by cutting the Russians off from the Black and Baltic seas, the aim was to make Russia a recluse on the coast of the Arctic Ocean. In short, America has broad geopolitical goals. In this regard, by accepting Finland and Sweden, at this stage, they want to turn the Baltic Sea into a NATO-controlled pond. We've always had scandals with the Swedes, most are fabricated like that story about our saboteur submarines in their waters which turned out to be a school of herrings or something else swimming out there. There have been a whole series of such tales that never led anywhere, but still kept the military situation quite tense, but not so with the Finns. We have always considered Finland to be a good and friendly business partner, most importantly, Finland was an excellent international diplomatic platform. Remember the basic Helsinki Act, which regulated peace in Europe for several decades. It was signed in Helsinki because Finland was part of the non-alignment movement with a completely unique status. We return to the narrator.
1: While Sweden has no direct border with Russia, except for the route to Kaliningrad via the Baltic Sea, Finland faces a radically different situation. Nearly 1,300 kilometers with over 1,000 kilometers of shared land border. For decades, since the Treaty of Paris in 1947, this region has enjoyed good neighborly relations and mutual partnership. For example, Russian armed forces were pulled back from the Finnish border and moved 1,500 kilometers deeper into Russia. Whether they remain in those positions now that Finland has ceased to be neutral remains
3: to be seen. It's not good for NATO being an operational body for an integrated military structure which is comprised of 30 different uh, military technology and capabilities. It's hard to combine them. It's hard to make them interoperable with each other. When you extend these interoperable difficulties with some Nordic states, that brings up additional premium for others. Other members with the enlargement of NATO, how big? as big as Turkey, by territory, and with their lesser capabilities, bringing next to them. Swiss and Finland have limited capabilities, therefore their contribution to overall alliance territory integrity will be limited, but alliance in return will have to provide them additional defense. It's barely more than an hour's
1: drive from the Finnish border to Russia's second city, St. Petersburg. It's just 140 kilometers, a fact that appears to be regarded as especially promising across the ocean
3: in the Pentagon. Of course, on the top of that, there's a Russian position which states that if those Nordic states allow that NATO assault weapons or other penetrating weapons to Russian territory to be deployed in Sweden or Finland, then it will have to be a problem between Russia and then it will turn to be a problem with Russia and NATO.
0: The video returns to some words from President Putin. In a presentation he made on July 7th, 2022, he said, Today we hear they want to beat us on the battlefield. Well, what can I say? Let them try. We've often heard the West wants to fight us to the last Ukrainian. This is a tragedy for the Ukrainian people but it seems things are heading that way. But everyone should know, by and large, we have not done anything serious yet. In other words, we've only begun to fight. We return to the narrator.
1: The Russian army and the LPR and DPR militias have completely liberated Lugansk People's Republic and Kherson region, as well as significant portions of Kharkov, Zaporozhye, and the Donetsk regions from neo-Nazis.
0: Referring to the land taken since the invasion began on February the 24th, 2022, the analyst says this territory is comparable to a medium-sized European Union country like Austria. It is not small.
1: The strategically important Zemeini Island in the Edessa region was captured to bolster control of the Black Sea. No ships will be able to pass the island, and the sea route remains under the full control of Russian forces. In June, as a gesture of goodwill, Russia pulled its troops from the island, demonstrating it won't hinder UN efforts to organize a humanitarian corridor to export agricultural products from Ukraine. However, despite the Russian troop withdrawal, Zmeini remains under the control of the Russian Navy and Air Force.
0: The video ends with some analysis comments by the different analysts, and include, So far we have made the Sea of Azov our own inland sea. While no one seems to acknowledge this, the Sea of Azov is now fully ours. At the same time, we have liberated huge territories in the south, completely liberated the territory of the Lugansk People's Republic, and largely liberated the Donetsk region. We've also advanced operations in the north around Kharkov, where we are fighting an enemy with superior numbers. At the beginning, Ukraine had some 220,000 to 240,000 under arms, plus several hundred who took part in the so-called anti-terrorist operation in the east, then add the border guards, Ministry of Internal Affairs employees, and Ukraine's Security Service. So when Zelensky says he has 500 to 700,000 people, he's not exaggerating. We had around 200,000 and still do. So this is an amazing situation where 200,000 are fighting 700,000, yet slowly but surely inching towards victory. The video is concluded with remarks by John Carrico, the American writer, journalist, and former intelligence officer. The
2: Russian government has been very straightforward, very direct with what it wants. It wants to protect Russian interests in Luhansk and Donetsk, in the Donbas. It wants uh, Crimea to ensure uh, the safety of ethnic Russians, safety and security. They've been very, very clear about that. And so in the end, despite what we're hearing from the Ukrainian government, I think the Ukrainians are going to have to eventually agree to some sort of a land for peace uh, deal.
0: In closing, just wanted to highlight some of the main points of our presentation that by the end of 2021 Ukraine had amassed some 150,000 troops near the border of the Donbass and Lugansk and were increasing their missile strikes by 20 to 30 times during the week before the Russian invasion or special operation that occurred on February 24, 2022. Their feeling was clearly a Ukrainian aggression was being prepared. Meanwhile, our media insists the Russian offensive was unprovoked, but multiple attempts on the part of Russia to negotiate the rules and NATO expansion in Europe failed. Also importantly, the quality and the character of war is always ugly. However, Russia's presentation in comparison to the United States in Iraq is like night and day, in which Moscow targeted strategic objects military ranges, factories, arm depots, and airfields, and not civilians. The result has been, relatively speaking, much more minimal damages to civilians than one would expect. Also, strikingly, it appears very clear now that Kiev and Russia were trying to cut a peace deal that was sabotaged behind the scenes by no other than the United States led by Joe Biden, who called a meeting to address that issue. And that's because the Ukraine crisis is a proxy war between Russia and the United States and a boon for the American defense industry. It's also the type of situation where the United States can take part in a conflict without losing its people. It's rather insidious that we have such reckless disregard for the Ukrainian army and the Ukrainian people. But rather, it seems our primary concern is to maintain our economic and military advantage in the world at the cost of the rest of the world and our own middle class. And wanted to end the show tonight just with a reflection about our feelings toward Russia. It reminds me of uh, children and racism, that no child is born a racist, that they pick that up through culture, through their family systems, etc. I would venture the same thing can be said about Russia, that our despite Our hate for Russia, our distrust of Russia, is like a chronic form of racism in in and of itself. It's not to say that Russia cannot be guilty of excesses like any country, but the treatment of Russia in our news reflects a deep unconscious prejudice, I would suggest. Therefore, I encourage everyone to keep an open mind when they're judging right from wrong when it comes to U.S. foreign policy in which oftentimes the basis of our ill feelings towards a country, whether it's Libya, whether it's Iraq, whether it's Syria, whether it's Iran, whether it's Nicaragua, whether it's Venezuela, often comes not from the substance of the characters involved in those countries and their actions, but how we have been acculturated through our media. See you next week And don't be late Also we need you to switch on over to the internet If you're not already there To access Lost in Paradise Coming up next on 91.7 KOOP It's a show that evolves around laid back grooves Both old and new Nothing too slow or fast Enjoy your time with Chad D As we do every show We take you out with Land of Naivety See you next week
3: Politician I hear I check out the photos
2: Yeah. Associate your
3: pastor